Welcome to the Gospel Reverb Podcast. Gospel Reverb is an audio gathering for preachers, teachers, and Bible thrill seekers. Each month, our host, Anthony Mullins, will interview a new guest to gain insights and preaching nuggets mined from select passages of Scripture in that month's Revised Common Lectionary. The podcast's passion is to proclaim and boast in Jesus Christ, the one who reveals the heart of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now, on to the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to the latest episode of Gospel Reverb. Gospel Reverb is a podcast devoted to bringing you insights from Scripture found in the Revised Common Lectionary and sharing commentary from a Christ-centered and Trinitarian view. I'm your host, Anthony Mullins, and it's my delight to welcome our guest, Dr. Jordy Ziegler. Jordy recently became a spiritual formation missionary for Imago Christi after spending 30 years in missions and pastoral ministry. Imago Christi is a community helping people experience the transforming rhythms of our triune God through abiding, gathering, and missions. You can find out more information about Imago Christi at their website, www.imagochristi.org. Jordy is a theologian and author of Trinitarian Grace and Participation, an entrance into the theology of Thomas F. Torrance, and he earned a PhD in Trinitarian Theology at the University of Aberdeen. Jordy, thank you for being with us and welcome back to the podcast. And I got to say, you must be a glutton for punishment to be willing to do this a second time, but we're delighted that you agreed to. Uh, it's been quite some time since we had our last conversation. So if you don't mind, tell us what's new in your life and how are you participating with the Lord these these days? Yeah, thank you, Anthony. It's it's wonderful to be back with you. I really enjoyed our conversation last time and look forward to today. Um, yeah, as you mentioned uh, already, my this past year, my wife and I took a step back from local church pastoral ministry in order to become missionaries who serve the church at large through Imago Christi, um, which is a, a spiritual formation team of, of a larger mission called Novo. And uh, this team, we, we work with pastors, missionaries, church leaders um, to support their life in Christ, um, as you said. Uh, but actually, the really exciting thing and new thing right now for us is that this coming weekend, our son is getting married. And uh, oh, we're thrilled for him. We love his bride and her family. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, big news for us. Lots of good energy in the house. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. We, my wife Elizabeth and I have a daughter getting married in October and mm -hmm. uh, uh, anxious to be in the place you are just a week out to celebrate that. <laughs> so congratulations yeah. and congratulations on your vocation. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're here to talk about the lectionary passages, so let's get to it. Here are the four pericopes we'll look at today. Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21, the art of neighboring. Romans chapter 13, 8 through 14, the obligations of love. Romans 14, 1 through 12, legalism and liberty. And finally, Philippians chapter 1, 21 through 30, live worthy of the gospel. Let's turn our attention to the first pericope of the month. It's Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. It is the Revised Common Lectionary Passage for Proper 17 in Ordinary Time, which falls on September the 3rd. Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like, a, like members of your own family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. 
Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the Spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone as equal and don't think that you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're so smart. Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. If possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. Don't try to get revenge for yourselves, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, revenge belongs to me. I will pay it back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. By doing this, you will be piling burning coals of fire on his head. Don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with good. Jordy, if you were teaching from this pericope, um, there's a lot of Christian living shoehorned into this. What would you focus on and why? <laughs> well, this is kind of a crazy coincidence, but the first half of this passage is actually being read at my son's wedding this coming weekend. <laughs> oh, there you um, go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I saw that, I was, I was uh, pretty amazed. Um, but if you imagine a married couple making this kind of promise to each other, um, this, if the, to make this your intention, especially the first few verses, um, you know, love is not about pretending, um, it's being real with each other. Um, it's uh, holding on to the good and not fixating on, you know, it's so easy. I, I've been married 33 years. It's so easy to, at times, to something, you know, maybe annoys me uh, with my wife. And then I'm just, I'm just kind of fixated on that and, and uh, holding on to that instead of holding on to so many good things. Um, and, uh and on down the line, I think those, those, uh, the whole section is such a good challenge to how we would treat each other in close relationships and in, in relationships that aren't quite as intimate as marriage, um, showing honor to each other, uh, being enthusiastic, uh, uh, the word, uh, checking in in different in a different translation for uh on your translation it says be on fire in the spirit i think it's uh sometimes it's your spiritual fervor um which is an inter interesting word it, it both refers to to fire and bubbling uh, boiling so um just energized by the spirit as you serve as you serve one another so that would be you know that certainly it, attracts my attention. Um, but I think I'd want to focus or emphasize that everything in this passage describes the way that God is revealed to be in Jesus. I mean, Jesus is all these things. Um, there's no description, there's no command or call that God gives to us that he doesn't, doesn't describe himself in the first place. He's not, he's not telling us to 
you know, take out the trash because he's too lazy to do it. <laughs> um, hmm. Maybe a second comment, uh, if I were to wanting to focus, I think it's worth taking a little bit of time on verse 19, uh, because that can easily get misunderstood. On the surface, it looks like it's saying that God is a vengeful God, paying back evil for evil. And I've heard that verse quoted often by those that insist that it's, it's in God's character to be retributive and punish violently and eternally. Um, but I think the text actually is making the opposite point, and we just need to keep reading the passage. Um, so if we, uh, we actually stopped at verse 20, but verse 21 continued, or well, no, we, you read verse 21, that's the end. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's how God overcomes evil. He doesn't overcome it by retributive or violent punishment. He, he overcomes it his way, which is by his goodness. Yeah, it reminds me, Jordy, uh, I saw a quote from Bradley Jerzak, and he mentioned, when has guilt and shame, retribution ever brought somebody to a loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because his way is mercy. And right. um, when Jesus showed mercy, he wasn't trying to change the Father's heart toward that person or toward humanity, but revealing the heart, right? This is who yeah. God is and the way he operates. Yeah, I think I think anytime, you know, it's so easy for people to lift verses out of context and and uh, and then use them in, in ways they aren't meant to. So this is, a, a, I think, a good... Um, test case or just even a good teaching opportunity for people to, to recognize, you know, let's, let's read the big picture here. Let's see what Paul's actually trying to do. Um, it's, uh, there's a couple ways I think to come at it. I think, I think I was reading some, some, you mentioned Brad Jersak. I was reading, I think, I think something by him related to this. It was talking that, that verse 19 is actually quoting from Deuteronomy 32, which is is kind of a different emphasis. Just because the Old Testament is quoted doesn't mean the way it was meant in the Old Testament is the way they're meaning it in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, it's almost a it's almost a celebration of vengeance, um, and uh, but it seems like Paul is subverting that original intent um, and instead of uh, advocating vengeance and violence, he's actually promoting enemy love. And it's this whole section is caught up in the relation to the state or to the government. And of course we know the government that Paul is writing under is Nero's government, which is, which is like the imperial beast. It's, it's the worst government uh, they could imagine in so many ways. And yet, Paul uh, is warning his people to, to not become like them uh, because first of all, that's not Christ's way. And secondly, you'll just get killed. Mm. So the way to be Christ's person is to, to overcome that evil um, with good, uh, with a kind of nonviolent resistance that proclaims Jesus is Lord and Caesar's not 
Um, the weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of this world. It's a gospel of peace and acts of enemy love. And, um, and that's how God's going to defeat this world. Um, so that's one angle. Um, another angle is a little bit what George MacDonald does with this, which I think is, is, is uh, very challenging because his, his approach, and maybe I could read a little bit of what he says, um, and I wish I had the sermon this comes from. I, I took this out of uh, his devotional, um, but it's, um, he says, no prayer for any revenge that would gratify the selfishness of our nature, a thing to be burned out of us by the fire of God, needs think to be heard. Be sure that when the Lord prayed his father to forgive those who crucified him, he uttered his own wish and his father's will at once. God will never punish according to the abstract abomination of sin, as if men knew what they were doing. Vengeance is mine, he says. With a right understanding of it, we might as well pray for God's vengeance as for his forgiveness. For that vengeance is to destroy the sin, to make the sinner abjure and hate it, nor is there any satisfaction in a vengeance that seeks anything less. Friends, if any prayers are offered against us because of some wrong you or I have done, God grant us his vengeance. Let us not think that we should get off. And part of what McDonald's getting at is God is committed to purifying all that is not of love's kind out of us. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. Yes. Um, so... Sometimes I know I was brought up with the idea that, well, you know, once you believe in Jesus, you're forgiven, and then uh, you don't have to, you don't have to face your sin because <laughs> uh, Jesus did it for you. And that's on one level, sure, we're forgiven, but on another level, God's committed to healing all in us that would need forgiveness. And that's, that's a good thing. Thanks be to God that the old Anthony Mullins will not inherit the kingdom. <laughs> you know, yes. Uh, may it be so, Lord. Um, verse 15, Jordy indicates that, at least in my mind, we should play share, enter into the place of another through kinship and mutuality, by rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn. So you are someone who vocationally offers soul care spiritual formation to others. So I imagine you would have much to say about this topic. So using the passage and thinking Christologically, what guidance would you give people who yearn for deeper connection? And frankly, we all do, whether we know it or not, we want deeper connection. What does that look like? What would you say? Well, this is such an important verse. Um, I think it offers us a kind of litmus test for our love. Is our love real or not? You know, is it sincere or not? Are we really just out for ourselves or not? If I'm really for others over myself, then I, I'm going to celebrate their blessings and achievements rather than harboring some kind of competitive jealousy or envy, um, mm. which is so easy to fall into. And then I just, you know, then it's turned back on myself and I'm thinking about, oh gosh, I wish I had that um, instead of just being able to celebrate with them. Um, and then when those that have, uh, have persecuted me or have, uh, 
you know, been unkind uh, to me when they're mourning or suffering, love mourns with and for them. And that that's a real test of love. Um, I, I've had to kind of wrestle with that myself many times. Um, and it's a reminder of the kind of love that God calls us to. One of the things I do, in addition to my full-time work with Imago Christi, I also work part-time at a hospital as a chaplain. And uh, as I said before the show, I had a shift last night, um, just got off a couple hours ago. And as I begin every shift, I, I know that I'm going to be with people who are mourning. And you know, occasionally I get to be with people who are rejoicing at some news, but nine out of 10 visits I make are mostly about dealing with mourning, with uh, grief and loss, the, the mourning of unexpected trauma or diagnosis or impending death. Um, and people will sometimes say to me, I don't know how you do it. Mm. <laughs> and it's hard, but my approach is pretty simple. Um, well, and I should maybe just say first, like my initially, my first feelings were uh, performance anxiety. Like, um, gosh, I hope I know the right thing to say um, and feeling awkward. Um, but I've learned over time that uh, to take a different approach. So that so when I'm on my way to visit a patient, uh, I just pray a simple prayer. Um, Jesus, help me to love what I find there. Um, help me to love as you love this person, this family, this um, situation. And, and that, that prayer, that focus on love has an amazing power to lower my anxiety level and also to enable me to be attentive to what they're, what they're actually grieving or mourning um, and not sort of bring all my own assumptions into it. So I don't God know if bless. that answers your original question. <laughs> it, it, it does. <laughs> and God bless you and your work. And I, uh, I appreciate what you said about how the prayer that you pray to the Lord Jesus helps you to not center yourself in the process and the relationship and the, the time that you're with somebody who's grieving. Uh, he, it's, he empowers you by the spirit to, to be with the other. And ultimately I think Andrew Root was the one I read that talked about place sharing. It's just entering into the grief. And ultimately, isn't that what compassion is? It's with somebody's pain. It's with mm -hmm. their suffering. And, um, so God be with you as you go. Yeah. And thank you for staying awake for us. We appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got well, let's, coffee. yeah, good. Well, let's transition to the second pericope of the month. It's Romans chapter 13, 8 through 14. It is a revised common lectionary passage for proper 18 and ordinary time on September 10th. Jordy, would you read it for us, please? Glad to. Don't be in debt to anyone except for the obligation to love each other. Whoever loves another person has fulfilled the law. The commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't desire what others have, and any other commandments are all summed up in one word. You must love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love doesn't do anything wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is what fulfills the law. As you do all this, you know what time it is. The hour has already come for you to wake up from, from your sleep. Now our salvation is nearer than when we first had faith. The night is almost over. The day is near. So let's get rid of the actions that belong to the darkness and put on the weapons of light. Let's behave appropriately as people who live in the day, not partying and getting drunk, not in sleeping around and obscene behavior, not in fighting and obsession. Instead, dress yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't plan to indulge in your selfish desires. Hmm. So Paul writes of the obligation to love each other. And I've from time to time heard gospel teachers talk about the obligations of love. You know, the word obligation, it can feel a bit prickly or denote something that's only done out of duty. So can you help us understand the covenant commitment and obligation to love? Um, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, God gave his promises to Abraham and then only 430 years later came the law at Sinai. Um, it, and the law didn't come to annul the promise uh, or to impose conditions on grace, but to spell out the obligations of grace, um, to be kind of the schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. And so Paul is arguing that uh, in authentic Judaism, grace is prior to the law. And, and so the obligations of love um, uh, are, well, maybe to, before I jump into that, like Judaism is, is not synonymous with legalism. Sometimes we think, oh, the Jews were um, all about legalism and grace. You know, you had to earn grace, but that's actually not how they thought about it. Um, sometimes, certainly, but the, the basic theme was that there's this covenant of God with his people it's not a contract. And so kind of like marriage, uh, it love always brings its obligations. It's, and this is James Torrance. It has unconditional obligations, but the obligations of love are not conditions of love. So you know, one way I think about it, like last week I was, I was away teaching at, uh, school of theology out here and and uh i said to the students you know i've been married 33 years and for me to to feel uh to know that my wife loves me i need to i need to feel i need to trust her love and to trust it i need to feel safe in it and to to trust it and feel safe i need to know that she is um committed to me when i'm apart from her and she needs to know that I'm committed to her when I'm apart from her. And that's a that's an obligation of love, but it's not a condition. Um, uh, human love, of course, has its limits, but God's love doesn't. And the invitation for us is to live with God's kind of love where we are committed to the person uh, regardless of their response. Um, so it's not about duty. Let me uh, just add a 
thought from James Torrance. This comes from a article he wrote uh, called The Unconditional Freeness of Grace. And he's talking about this question, is grace prior to the law or is the law prior to grace? And so he, and he's using the analogy of marriage. And he says, so to put it in other words, love like marriage love always brings its obligations, its unconditional obligations. But the obligations of love are not conditions of love. To turn a covenant into a contract is to turn categorical imperatives into hypothetical imperatives. And that weakens the imperatives. Legalism always weakens the character of love. And so Paul, uh, this is more of JB, he says, do I weaken the law, says the apostles, by seeing it in the context of grace? No, I strengthen it. This question of the relation of grace to, of the law to grace is of paramount importance because much of evangelical preaching can go wrong at this point. It's possible to do two things that can lead us to misunderstanding of Paul. First, we is to take the text, the law as our schoolmaster brings us to Christ out of its context and to build a whole theology and a te preaching technique out of it as if we need to preach the law so that people will eventually repent rather than preaching grace. So Jordy, what is your favorite Jesus outfit? I, I recall the last time we had a conversation, uh, you mentioned your son really likes the way you dress. And I, it just <laughs> popped back into my mind as I was thinking about your, your Christ-like clothing. So is there a Christ-like garment we Christians need to be wearing, but too often it can be found hanging in the closet gathering dust of apathy? Mm, that's such a good question. I'm amazed that you, uh, you remembered that. Um, yeah, I love, I love, uh, that image of my son dressing up in my clothes. Um, yeah, I, I think my favorite, and this has probably come to me over the last year and a half or so, um, maybe two years, really since get, becoming a part of Imago Christi and there's a a broader story to that, but um, my favorite thing in the closet, uh, uh, or maybe, or the, the the clothing that I think is often gathering dust in the closet for many Christians is the outfit of joy. Mm. Um, because the more I read the Gospels, uh, the more I am struck by the constant sense of joy that seems to characterize Jesus's relationship with the father. And that's actually what I think about when I hear that phrase, uh, weapons of light. Um, when I, whenever I see the word light or glory in the new Testament, I, I immediately think of, of what happens to someone's face when they're filled with joy. You know, when you, when, when I get home, I came home this morning <laughs> off my shift and I saw my, my wife was sitting, having her devotions and, you know, I look in her face and, and I just see her kind of face light up and her eyes shine that joy toward me. And so I think, I think the weapons of light, kind of the the central one is the joy of the relationship of the father and the son. And as we participate in that, as we, 
sit with them inside the circle of the Trinity as we look upon the Father looking back at us with love. Uh, then we 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 share that glory. We share the joy that they have, and our and our faces begin to light up. Um, but so often that's not the clothing that we wear. Mm. No, that's that's a good word, and and that's something that is fostered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's uh, mm-hmm. it is a fruit um, that is born and nourished and flourishes within us. Um, in the presence of Jesus. That's a really good word. Thank you for that. Well, let's transition on to our next passage of the month. It's Romans chapter 14, 1 through 12. It is the Revised Common Lectionary Passage for Proper 19 in Ordinary Time, which is September the 17th. Welcome the person who is weak in faith, but not in order to argue about differences of opinion. One person believes in eating everything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Those who eat must not look down on the ones who don't, and those, and the ones who don't eat must not judge the ones who do, because God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servants? They stand or fall before their own Lord, and they will stand because the Lord has the power to make them stand. One person considers some days to be more sacred than than others, while another person considers all the days to be the same. Each person must have their own convictions. Someone who thinks a day is sacred thinks that way for the Lord. Those who eat, eat for the Lord, because they thank God. And those who don't eat, don't eat for the Lord, and they thank the Lord too. We don't live for ourselves, and we don't die for ourselves. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, Whether we live or die, we belong to God. This is why Christ died and lived, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you look down on your brother or sister? We all will stand in front of the judgment seat of God, because it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Jordy, I'm a recovering legalist. Not arrived at the train station yet, but I'm working on it by the Spirit. For the first half of my life, I took very seriously what meats I ate and didn't eat and what days I observed and didn't observe based on my religious convictions. And because of my zeal for these things, I admit I quickly and harshly judged others who didn't honor God in the same way I did. Oh, how I had to repent. Um, And it's ongoing repentance. In light of that, this passage seems to point to the liberty we have in Christ and how we should accept others. But I wonder if it goes deeper. We live for the Lord and belong to God, verse 8, and therefore we don't live for ourselves, verse 7. How would you exegete this section of Scripture? I think it's interesting that in the Greek text, the word for is not present. Uh, there's actually no preposition at all. Mm. And most of the nouns are dative. And my point about mentioning that is I, I think Paul is pointing us toward the union with Christ, which is our life in all of this. Um, 
that uh, we can't think of ourselves apart from him. So I am a we. Mm -hmm. Myself is a self in relationship with Christ. There's no me alone. Uh, so I can't live for myself alone because that doesn't even make sense. Uh, and so I, I live in the Lord and I die in the Lord because I belong to the Lord. So I think, I think that's at least part of one way to, to kind of, to unpack this is to, to recognize our union with Christ that he's pointing towards because he's never, Paul never wants to tell us, okay, God did all this for you and you should do all this for him. It's like, you know, Quid yes, quo. be grateful, <laughs> but it's not, the Christian life is not a response to Christ. It's a response in Christ and his response already for us that we participate in. And so, um, living from that perspective, then, um, we, that changes how we, it changes who holds the gavel really. Mm. Um, we, we all kind of, I think want to hold, hold the gavel against ourselves, against others. Um, I was talking to someone the other day and they were describing their, uh, just this, this sense of judgment of others against them. And it was almost like the, an entire stadium filled with judges and, uh, and trying to please everybody. And so that, that's, that's our default, I think, is to, to hold that gavel against ourselves and against others. Uh, I, I'm actually, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on this since you grew up with such a, a strong legalism um, like, how have you come to hear this text differently since being liberated from your legalistic judgmentalism? I think the way I view it now is wrapped up in what you just said, in that all of my doing as a beloved child of God is within the done, what Christ has already done. <laughs> and now it, it is a happy participation as opposed to me... Um, showing up at the end of the day and say, Hey God, look what I did for you. <laughs> and God's like, ah, okay. <laughs> I, I didn't ask you to this. I just want you to join me in relationship and, and watch what I'm doing. Much like even the historical Jesus as a rabbi, you know, as, as a friend, a disciple, I just do what I see my rabbi doing and we get to do it together. And there's such joy in that. So that shifting from for Christ to with Christ that simple shift is cataclysmic as it relates. And I look back to my upbringing versus where I'm at today. Praise God. Yeah. Yeah. We can't, we have to hear that. I think every sermon, every podcast, every book, I mean, that's really kind of my litmus test. <laughs> if, uh, does this message throw me back on myself or does it, invite me, draw me into participating in Christ and with Christ. And if it doesn't draw me into the life that Christ is living in and, and for me already, uh, then it's not the gospel that Jesus is wanting, inviting us into from in Matthew 11, you know, he, he invites us to come to him and share his yoke, not, not, uh, 
hasn't dumped something on us that he doesn't wear himself. Mm. Yeah. I appreciated what you said, Jordy, about the, our identity, the we aspect, um, the communitas, the community. I was talking with some folks earlier today about the uh, Zulu philosophy, the South African language of Zulu, the philosophy of Ubuntu. Mm. I am because we are. And it's it's a powerful way of looking at things because we, we're just so individualistic in the West. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we would we'd find a richer um, experience with God if we thought in terms of community, because there is triunity in the Godhead, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. Right. And hallelujah, praise God that we've been included in that Father-Son relationship by the Spirit. And that's a, you know, that's a good thing to call out as we're going through this is um, many, if not most of the, of the, of the references to us in this are plural. So it's, it doesn't always come out in the translation when it says yourself, um, but it, it pretty much is always yourselves um, talking about this, this mixture of I'm responsible, but it's, I do this in community with others. It's not just me alone. So it's mm-hmm. me with Christ and it's me with Father, Christ. forgive us for the idol of self. <laughs> yes, yes. It says, uh, each of us will give an account to God in verse 12. Okay, so Jordy, is that a threat, a warning, something we should be fearful of? How do you imagine giving an account to God? And if anything, how should it inform the way that we live today? Yeah. Um, Well, I think it all depends on if or what I think of the character of God. So if God is a harsh master, then yeah, I should be afraid. But if God is love, if God is triune love, Father, Son, and Spirit, then then while my accounting for everything that I'll have done is no doubt going to be painful in some way, uh, it'll be the kind of pain that I might feel when I go to the dentist. <laughs> uh, my dentist only has my good in mind. And... Yeah, there's a part of me that fears giving an account to her, but I I know that she's going to bring healing to my cavities and whatever else she finds uh, because she she's for me. She's not against me. No matter how bad my flossing habits might be or have been, um, no matter how bad my sweet tooth has gotten, I know that that uh, that she's on my team. She's on my side, and I think. It's, this has been one of the, the transformations for me in terms of seeing God's judgment, which has largely come, I think, through reading George MacDonald is recognizing that the judgment seat of God is, is something that all of us are going to have to stand in front of. Um, it's not just for non-believers to get judged. All of us will be judged. Uh, as he says, every, every knee will bow. And every tongue will will praise him, and all of us, each of us, will give an account. But it's not for the sake of punishment; it's for the sake of healing and, and purifying. It's it's kind of it's like going to the dentist or going to the doctor and saying, "Look, here's here's some things that I recognize are not 
what they should be. Um, thankfully, uh, you know, doctors have tests they can run and help even discover other things that we that we couldn't name or couldn't put our finger on. And, and I think God does that as well. And that's all for this for our healing. And so it, it I think it also gives us a degree of uh, a big degree of just being able to trust God with those who other people that we might be apt to judge that that we can trust that they they are going to face God someday about that. And so I don't need to run around and be everybody's uh, voice of judgment uh, because that that is going to come for them to the extent that that I'm that he's calling me to do that with a particular person that that I need to listen for that and that always is going to be a an expression of love because that's how God's judgment is from him as well so it, it becomes both something I think for us not to fear and also a model for us of of the way that we would uh, approach judging ourselves or judging others as well, that it comes from a, a heart and a place of love. Mm, thank you for that. We, we always go back to the char character of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And as we've already said on this episode, God is, he has a restorative love, not a retributive punishment. I mean, sin does enough of its own punishment to us, right? And um, thanks be to God that we can trust him. So we uh, move on to our final passage of the month. It is Philippians chapter 1, 21 through 30. Philippians, of course, known as the Epistle of Joy. You mentioned joy earlier. It is a revised common lectionary passage for proper 20 in ordinary time, which falls on September 24th. Jordy, read it for us, please. Sure. Because for me, living serves Christ, and dying is even better. If I continue to live in this world, I get results from my work, but I don't know what I prefer. I'm torn between the two because I want to leave this life and be with Christ, which is far better. However, it's more important for me to stay in this world for your sake. I'm sure of this. I will stay alive and remain with all of you to help your progress and the joy of your faith and to increase your pride in Christ Jesus through my presence when I visit you again. Most important, live together in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. Do this whether I come and see you or I'm absent and hear about you. Do this so that you stand firm, united in one spirit and mind as you struggle together to remain faithful to the gospel. That way you won't be afraid of anything your enemies do. Your faithfulness and courage are a sign of their coming destruction and your salvation, which is from God. God has generously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but also of suffering for Christ's sake. You are having the same struggle that you saw me face and now hear that I am still facing. So Paul challenges us to live together in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel, verse 27. And I see this as a challenge because many Christians have an individualistic moralism. You know, it goes something like this, be a good person, stay in your lane, have a nice house and an enclave, right? That's the goal. And by the way, we know none of those things are inherently wrong, 
But I wonder if the apostle is pointing to Christian community that is far more robust and other-centered than we often think about. What say you? Hmm. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's interesting that that uh, phrase about worthy of the gospel. It's the same. It's basically the same kind of language that he uses in Ephesians where he, uh, where the transition takes place in, uh, in Ephesians from chapter, from the first three chapters to, to the, to the, to the last three. And it's, it's this word axios or hax, I can't quite say it, hagios, axios. And it's, we translate it, it's worthy, worthily, but it's this image of, of an axis with kind of weight on one side and weight on the other. And the idea is that everything in the gospel, everything of who Christ is and what he's done, um, this kingdom that he has, is, has created and that we are invited into all of that, um, is to be, is to be lived out, is to be worked out. And, and, that's the challenge. I mean, that's the journey of the Christian life is that, is that everything gets, gets to, gets to be lived. I remember asking Eugene Peterson this question in class once about, uh, uh, experience. Cause you know, Eugene grew up kind of Pentecostal and then he became Presbyterian, which is, it seems like two extremes <laughs> from the, from the holy rollers to the frozen chosen. But I remember I asked him, so how do we, or are we to experience these, these, uh, you know, every part of the Bible or every part of our theology, like how, or is it, or is there some of it that's just in our head? And, and he said, everything is to be experienced. And, and sometimes, yes, uh, thinking is a kind of experience, um, but it's not meant to be abstract. It's meant to be integrated. And so, um, yeah, Paul wants them to, to live the way that he has lived, and he's showing them his priority of the gospel over everything else. And inviting them to follow his example, so mm. it's a uh, and his example is is other centered love, which he got from Christ Himself. So, which then leads to kind of where he heads when he starts talking about suffering. <laughs> mm. Well, speaking of that, you know, God has generously granted you the privilege of suffering for Christ's sake. Come on, Jordy. Uh, you know, if the average person made a list of privileges in their life, um, you're not going to find suffering on that list. But how have you experienced in your own personal journey that suffering can be viewed as grace? And what encouragement would you give to someone listening who is suffering at this very hour? This is, uh, this is such a huge, huge topic. Um, but I think there are some some angles on it that can really help us uh, and redeem this for us. Um, 
one one interesting thing is um, there's an early Christian text called the Epistle of Barnabas, and in that he describes the human being as earth that suffers. And there's something just basically true about that. And part of suffering means that there is there's a neediness that we have when we suffer. Um, there's a there's a a dependency that suffering creates uh, a dependency for God, a dependency for God's people, a need for others to come alongside us, a need for mercy and grace. Uh, suffering, in a way, becomes almost the uh, the an open space where grace can rush in. And if we don't have any kind of suffering in our lives, I mean, I, I think we we don't grow. Like mm. growth and suffering really are hand in hand uh, realities. Uh, spring only become comes because winter happened. Uh, I guess unless you live in Florida, and then I don't know what to say about that. But um, uh, and so so there's something about our human nature where suffering has there's a kind of suffering that is that is part of our design a part of our neediness um now he's talking about suffering for christ's sake and and that's the life that paul has lived has had lots of suffering it's had suffering of rejection suffering of of abuse uh from others there's traumas that he's experienced because of that. Um, some of those because of his faith, some of those because of uh, just life, I'm sure. And I think when we remember first that in all of those, grace can rush in, in those. That can be the, the thing that calls us to, uh, just makes us aware of our neediness more. Uh, when I, I went through a really difficult time about four years back and I was talking to Baxter Kruger about it and his response to me, uh, was, uh, was funny because he's like, well, Jordy, this is probably the best thing that ever happened to you because (laughs) now your theology has to actually make a difference. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, then you need a new theology. <laughs> um, I can't do a Southern accent. Sorry about that. But, um, <laughs> but the reality is God is, God is self-giving. This, I, this is Brad Jersak's description, which I love. Self-giving, co-suffering, radically forgiving love. And there's a sense in which to be love means you will suffer. Um, there is no love that does not also include suffering. And sometimes people like they just decide, okay, I'm not going to love. I, I was talking to somebody whose dog was uh, going to be dying uh, probably soon. And, and they just said, I, I don't think we want another dog because the pain of losing them is too much. And, and I get that sometimes we have to make those choices, but, but, um, any kind of love is always going to involve suffering because there's going to be loss and there's going to be hurt. Um, 
but it, what it also means is suffering is not necessarily bad. It's not automatically bad. Suffering can actually be a way that love gets deepened, where intimacy grows uh, to a place that it never could have otherwise. And so there's a, there's a, I think when Paul, he's not just, he's not just saying stupid things when he says, God has generously granted you the privilege of suffering for Christ's sake. I mean, he's, that is genuine for him. Um, now all the hearers may have had to struggle with that a little bit, but, uh, for Paul, it's been, I think it's his suffering that made the love and intimacy that he knows in Christ so much deeper. And he knows that and he wants that for his people. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me just thinking of my own journey, Jordy, that, um, in my walk with Christ, I have grown and matured in him mostly when I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, it, you know, in times of suffering and heartache, um, it, it's not in the fluff of life. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I would rather hang out in the fluff of life. Right. But yeah. I, I can look back and go, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Yeah. I learned something of your goodness and I trust you more today than I did then as a yeah. result of it. Hallelujah. Praise God. I just say that so much of the work of a spiritual director is um, helping somebody to just press into the suffering in prayer and to, to learn how to receive God's grace and mercy in the midst of it, whatever it is. Um, so that we, when we, because often our initial response to suffering is not happy or pretty. And so sometimes we do need somebody to help us to, to know how to turn and face God in the midst of it instead of turning away or spiraling in. And so that's, that, that's part of the work that I love doing with Imago Christi, with leaders. Um, and I love, uh, that, you know, I have some people that do that for me, um, which I need. Mm. Amen. Amen. And I, I appreciate the work of spiritual direction and formation, um, because it, it gives a holistic picture of things. Like one of the things I've noticed recently, and maybe I've just started paying attention, like sometimes in Christian circles, there's this toxic positivity that, you know, well, God loves me. So everything's got to be happy, happy, joy, joy, rainbows and ponies. Um, but the Bible has a book called Lamentations. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I read the book of Psalms that it's like a yo-yo, you know, go God, one Psalm, the next Psalm, where are you, God? And where, where mm -hmm. are you going to rescue me? And so I just want to remind folks, especially if you find yourself in the midst of suffering now, that lament gives voice to what hurts. But hope gives voice to what heals, and the hope of God never disappoints us, never abandons us, never leaves us at the altar. Hallelujah. Praise God. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Jordy, for being with us, staying up after a long shift of chaplaincy work. We so appreciate you, your beloved child of the living God. And I want to thank the people that make this happen. Um, Ruel Inario, our producer, 
my wife, Elizabeth Mullins, who transcribes these podcasts so you can find verbatim what Jordy said, because I know you'll want to go back and, and re-listen to what he had to offer here today. But thank you so much for being with us. And let me remind everyone that Jesus Christ is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. Keep leaning into Him and watch what will happen. Jordy, as is our tradition with Gospel Reverb, we pray to close out the conversation, and uh, we'd love for you to pray for and with us. I would love to. Yes, Lord, we we give you thanks and praise for for you, our love. You are other-centered, co-suffering, radically forgiving, mercy and love and grace. And Lord, we we know we don't have the strength in us to be that or do that. And that's part of the good news is that you are all those things. And so we thank you, God, that you don't tell us to do something that you aren't, but that all that you call us to be clothed in is just the clothes that you already wear. And so, Father um, Jesus, would you uh, share with us your your clothing, share with us your relationship with the Father through the Spirit, help us to see what you see when you look into the Father's eyes and to know what you know and to feel what you feel and to love what you love so that we can be uh, your people living as children of in the Father's kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being a guest of Gospel Reverb. If you like what you heard, give us a high rating and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. Share this episode with a friend. It really does help us get the word out as we are just getting started. Join us next month for a new show and insights from the RCL. Until then, peace be with you.